Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Yo. Technology. What is it all about? So you're going to get it right. You can basically give me a urine sample. I'll give you a kidney. Pretty close. Yeah. So it depends on how many times we can get those progenitor cells to divide and scale them up. Right. But, but we wouldn't need probably more than like a week's worth of urine samples. Hello and welcome back to Danny in the Valley, our first episode of the new season. And we are starting with a bang. A few weeks ago, I drove down to a little office park right on the waterfront in Hayward, California. So I got to see the beautiful bay and a great big porta potty right in my line of sight. But hey, can't have everything. Anyhow, I was visiting a little startup called Prelis Biologics. And this is not your typical company. They grow blood vessels, skin, and eventually entire organs in their lab. And I went to see it for myself. Hi, Danny. Yeah. Aaron, nice to Hi, meet you. Nice to meet Come you. On in. Thank you. So we use um, some pretty high-powered lasers. Don't be worried. Our guys know what they're yeah, doing. Yeah, this feels very uh, yeah. ro- RoboCop. Yeah, I call them our Daft Punk helmets. So what does that flash of light mean? So what is happening? That's the actual laser being projected. Okay. Yeah. And then uh, these optics are basically to relay the image that we form uh, with the spatial light modulator. And we have a couple of different... After my little tour of their laser printing lab, I sat down with Melanie Matthew, Prelis' founder, to talk about what is actually happening in those four walls. And if she's successful, it would be kind of mind-blowing for the pretty obvious reasons that replacement organs on demand would be. We're live. Hello. Like How are you? <laughs> so thank you for taking the time. Oh, yeah. Thank you for coming to see us. So I have uh, have lots and lots of questions. Can we start with the basics? Like, So you're of basically course, yeah. printing or tissue and eventually organs. Is that the idea? That's exactly what we're doing. How? How. The, the big how. <laughs> that, that's what matters most. Yeah. So... How we're doing it is that we have found a way to print at a super fine resolution very quickly such that we can build the extracellular matrix or structures that house cells. And the reason why it's important to do it at a fine resolution and quickly is that cells rely on oxygen and nutrients to survive. Mm -hmm. Um, They depend on circulation. And we're able to recreate those fine blood vessels that provide the oxygen and nutrients. 
And so other bioprinting methods, they have resolutions that land around 50 micrometers. Ours is about a half micron on paper. What's that difference in? So that's about 100x difference. Okay. Yeah. And so the 100x size drop allows us to do things like print fine capillaries that are 5 to 10 microns in diameter. Those capillaries are what supply oxygen and nutrients to cells. So that's really the magic of what we're doing. We can get down to a resolution that no one else can touch, and we can do it incredibly fast, which allows us to do larger organs and tissues. So we were just in your lab, which is full of Christmas lights and la- <laughs> Christmas lights and lasers, but it's yes. not like... So uh, in our last season, or was it the season before, we went and saw a company that was making fish flesh in a lab oh interesting yeah and it was basically it was a kind of a fermentation process right right but at least that looked like there would be something kind of meaty for lack of a better word that right. comes out of it right but this is what i ju- what i just saw looks like a bunch of lights and mirrors and lasers yeah. So what you saw was the engineering side of what we're doing. Okay. And this is where we build the actual structures. And then we take those structures and we add cells to them. So what are the structures made of? The structures are made right now of a biodegradable material. That's um, something that's a lot like reabsorbable stitches. Gotcha. And so we know that when we transplant that, that disappears. No harm, no foul of the animal. There's no immune response. We've actually done a transplant study um, for several weeks with no immune response to this material. So we're quite happy with that. So this is the kind of the scaffolding. Right. And the idea is that you create the scaffolding and you can put it into a living being and mm-hmm. the cells will kind of grow into and around it. Exactly. So we've been able to show this in our cell biology lab where we have scaffolds seeded with pretty much any cell type we've tried grows along them. So we've done up to 25 different human cell types at this point. They'll grow along, they adapt to the scaffolding, and then they're transplantable as is. And so that's what we were able to show in an animal model. Yeah, because I think I read something you guys were implanting tumors or something. Yeah, that's right. We started with the the low-hanging fruit as a tumor cell, and they were human tumor cells. And we wanted to just see if we could transplant them and then get perhaps better engraftment than you would with how it's normally done for animal studies that use human tumors that are transplanted. And why is that the low-hanging fruit that's supposed to be? So it's, it's low-hanging fruit because tumor cells are hard to kill. <laughs> Got yeah. you. Right, right. They're so, like weeds. Yeah. So it's, it's right. they're the weeds, you know. So it's if it doesn't work with tumor cells, then it's we know it's... not going to work with anything else. Exactly. It's right. not going to work with another cell type. So what I saw being printed, that architecture, mm-hmm. does that is that visible to the naked eye when it's done? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Um, in fact, we have some models floating around the lab. You can't see it um, yeah. online, but I'm holding up, you know, a structure that Looks is like porous. a... A half a like a dome, yeah, or basically like a, like a, ball a half dome out. with some some yeah. kind of crosshatch vasculature in it. Yeah. Um, this structure we've tried with probably about twenty different cell types. It works beautifully, and it's about two and a half millimeters across when all is said and done. So you can see that with the naked eye, right? And then we drop cells into it and grow them from there. We've grown cells for up to four weeks in a structure like this, and they survive gotcha. quite well. So why is this a big deal? So it's a big deal because no one's been able to grow really dense tissue anything more than a millimeter thick. 
for an extended period of time. And we're doing that routinely in our lab. So it, we really are able to show that we get good oxygen exchange, good nutrient supply to cells. And from there, we're going to really interesting primary human cell types. We've tested the structure with um, human liver cells. And normally what happens when you culture human liver cells in 2D is they lose some critical cell types. Um, if you culture them with our 3D structure, they're maintained. They even seem to start forming spontaneous sinusoids, which are three-dimensional liver structures that are found in human liver. So, so we think that by recreating these three-dimensional scaffolds that allow for native oxygenation and eventually blood flow when we hook it up to, to blood or a blood surrogate, we will allow cells to behave as they would in three dimensions, which is the key to tissue engineering, really. How far are we from, say... A kidney grown in one of your labs, yeah. being able to just be like, all right, this person has kidney failure. Let's give them a kidney. Let's yeah. just give, we're going to grow one. I believe it's absolutely realistic. And we are, I think, closer than we ever have been because we have solved the microvasculature problem. In this context, is this is this a kind of something of a holy grail or is this something that people have been working at, trying to sort mm-hmm. out for a long time? Mm-hmm. Or where are we in all of this? It is a holy grail. And that's why I've said to our company, this is our moonshot. And if we can solve the kidney, we can solve anything. And I think we're actually decently close. And so... Of course, many people have been working on it, but one of the difficult things about the kidney is it's such a finely tuned, really beautiful structure physiologically. Mm-hmm. Every blood vessel has a purpose. Every filtration step is is located in a critical spot within that three-dimensional architecture of the kidney, and it's really difficult to re-engineer that. But we can actually print those native structures. The base structural unit of a kidney is a nephron. And we have a nephron design that we print routinely, and we are testing for fluid flow. So the plan for us, our roadmap, is to get that nephron to work, demonstrate that we have good is fluid flow. Is nephron a type of cell? Uh, so it's a, it's a three-dimensional structure. The blood goes in, it pushes the plasma out, yep. and the plasma then runs through a filtration system. It, it has a loop and a bunch of turns, and yep. you reabsorb your salts and your sugars from that. What comes out at the other end is eventually urine, and then our bloodstream can kind of pick up all the nutrients we don't want to lose. So it's like the factory within the factory. It's a factory within the factory. I had someone compare it to the transistor. So if we can get a transistor to work, we can get the rest of them to all work. And so once we get one of those to work, it's really a matter of space packing and cell seeding. We know from the cell biology end, not the engineering end, that if you take kidney progenitor cells and you give them the right circulation patterns, they differentiate into the expected cell types. And gotcha. so that's not something really that keeps me up at night. I know we'll have to do experimentation to work that out, obviously. But once we have the engineering solved, the biology is right on its heels. And so we are quite close. What does that mean? Quite close, yeah, in terms of timeline. <laughs> so, you know, it's always hard to guess, you know, the unknown unknowns and what could go yeah. wrong. But um, I believe we'll have a working nephron with cells seated on it within the next 6 to 12 months. And then from there, it's the modeling, the space packing, the printing time. And I think that's doable in two to three years before we have something really functional. A kidney? A surrogate kidney, yep. And so how long would that whole process take from like, okay, I have kidney failure mm-hmm. i'm on yeah. dialysis whatever yeah. i need I'm, a kidney printed I, yeah yeah mm-hmm. how long does that take so the kidney is actually a nice structure you don't have to build it custom for everyone so i think this sounds so I'm, funny yeah it's funny right 
um, I think about this stuff all day long. It doesn't yeah, sound yeah, funny yeah, to me yeah, anymore. Yeah, yeah. But I think, you know, I'm benchmarking it three to four months. Got you. And the progenitor cells, mm-hmm. do those come, would those come from me? Yes. Ideally, we will be sourcing them from the patient or a really well-matched donor. And so anything we can do to get people off of immunosuppressants is ideal. Yeah. Um, immunosuppressants cause all sorts of chronic issues for people who have had an organ transplant, you know, including higher rates of death from cancer. There's just all sorts of problems when you have a chronically suppressed immune system. So I would love to get them from the donor. The kidney the kidney's actually interesting. I was researching this, and I felt lucky to find this. But in the last few years, there's been several publications that demonstrate you can get progenitor cells directly from urine, which is a throwaway sample. What? And so so you don't have to go in and necessarily biopsy the patient. If you can get enough So you're going to get it, right. Yeah. You can basically, give me a urine sample, I'll give you a kidney. Pretty close, yeah. So it depends on how many times we can get those progenitor cells to divide and scale them up. Right. But, but we wouldn't need probably more than like a week's worth of urine samples to get a whole kidney. That's totally wild. And so what is it that you are doing that is different? Is it just this, is it this printing process that you just showed me? Is yeah, it's the really, big... the magic really is in the printing process. A lot of really smart people have been going after the bioprinting problem for a long time and the tissue engineering problem for a very long time. And it's, it's really getting down to that resolution. So a kidney nephron has, you know, half a micron cell wall between different areas. So does the lung and so right. does the liver. And if you can't recreate that, you don't get the right rate of exchange for the oxygen and nutrients. It just doesn't work. It just doesn't work. It's, it's really a physical engineering problem. Right, yeah. right, right. So when you were a little kid, <laughs> did you say, I want to print organs when I grow up? When I was a little kid, I I think my parents probably could have told you I would be a scientist. I right. was outside all the time, catching every animal that moved, you know, exploring the world as much as yeah. I could. Yeah. And I think I did get a microscope as a present, a Christmas present. I think I it was like, I did you was, have one? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I did. Yeah, long history of being interested without really understanding where it would go. And so how did yeah. we end up here in Hayward with a view of a porta potty in the, oh, and the, and we the bay? View. We have a bay view. They're just doing a little <laughs> construction. <laughs> yeah, how did we end up here? So I went on and got my PhD in physiology at the University of Physiology Biophysics at the University of California, Irvine, where we did um, a lot of... Are you the real... ant- anteaters? Yeah, the anteaters. That's right. Yeah, I went to UC Santa Barbara. Oh, you did? I, yeah. I, I was there as an undergrad. So was I. When, oh, interesting. When? What year? Um, did I give my age away on I'll give mine, and you can... <laughs> I was there from 95 <laughs> to 99, 2000. Okay, we overlapped. Yeah. That's All right. Funny. We'll have to talk about that offline. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Go Gauchos. Um, yeah. No, I had a really good experience at UCSB as well as a biochem undergrad. Yeah. Beautiful campus, great place to go to school. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then I went on to get my PhD at UC Irvine, where we did a lot of um, what's called two-photon imaging. I went to work with uh, the laboratories of Mike Cahalan and Ian Parker, and Ian Parker had built the first video rate two-photon microscope. And what that meant was... That sounds that, important. That but... sounds important. It was important at the time, because what that meant is we could look at living tissue 
without disturbing the cells or photo bleaching them or hitting them with too much laser power. And we could actually watch how cells moved and interacted in a living tissue in real time. Right. Really interesting. They were the first group to show that immune cells, the cells that we take for granted for CAR T cell therapy and all this, they move independently and move throughout the body and go and seek and destroy things like tumor cells. And this was the first group to discover that. It was really fascinating. So that laid a lot of foundational work in a lot of areas. I went on to do this work for many, many years, um, looked at pretty much every tissue you can think of under a high-powered microscope and how the cells moved and interacted in it and the base structure of the tissue, the collagen that holds it all together. And so, you know, you can see different patterns in different collagens. I wasn't necessarily interested in tissue engineering at the time, but when I was working at UCSF, a postdoc I had before, um, postdoctoral position I had before I started this company, I was driving home one night, listening to a podcast. Podcasts are great. Yeah. Super inspiring podcasts about tissue engineering. And um, the host asked this cardiac surgeon who was online, how long till we have a heart? And there was a super long pause, you know, yeah. all these great advances, how long till we have a heart? And the guy was like, well, maybe, maybe 20 years. And the host was like, well, we we're just talking about this incredible work. We can see cells beating right, right. a dish and sheets. Why not now? And, and he, the cardiac surgeon very wisely boiled it down to one problem, and that's we can't build capillaries, the tiny blood vessels that supply the oxygen and nutrients yep. that we're just talking about here. And so it was late at night, and I was like, well, God, I was just in lab for like hours, and the capillaries were kind of in the way of imaging what I needed to image. I can see them. I know light can cross-link things. Why can't I build them with the same light I'm looking at them with? And that, I'm sure that's obvious to somebody who has studied what you have studied, but that is, that's not an <laughs> obvious leap. I can see leap. it, why can't I make it? Right, but with the same light you're yeah. using to see it, that's the yeah. that's the kind of leap. Yeah, that was the leap, I guess. I guess when you do something for over a decade, yeah. <laughs> it starts to become yeah, easy. Yeah. Or, or, you know, more obvious. clear. Obvious, yeah. yeah, that's the right word. So that idea just really stuck with me for a while, and I started doing a lot of background research in the optics and the physics of what we were doing and um, decided, okay, yeah, I think I think we could do this. I left my postdoc, worked for another startup for a little while, got some good experience there. And this idea kind of never left. And then after I left that startup, I decided to file the IP. I bootstrapped it for eight months and wow. here we are. <laughs> oh, because it, I think... Uh, yeah. If I remember correctly, you went to SOSV. I did. I did. We went to Arvind, Indie Bio. Arvind yeah. was on this podcast last year. Oh, excellent. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Arvind is on our board. We love Arvind. He's gotcha. fantastic. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Really one of my, hands down, one of my favorite people in the world to work with. Um, yeah. And SOSV and Indie Bio serves an incredible role in biotech and the biomedical advances we're going to see come online. Yeah. They they are a landing place for entrepreneurs and inventors and they get you started, they give you training, they give you biz dev, really really whatever you're missing, they try to help backstop you in and and teach you how to build a company. And so they were they were great. They were our first investors. Right. It is a cool setup and for those who who are listening who don't remember, um it's basically like a kind of a bunch of desks arrayed around a kind of a professional grade lab so you don't exactly. have to do all of that difficult setting that up you can kind of use the premises to kind of test what you're doing and then move on exactly a huge draw for us was 
I had filed IP, and there's a there's a ticking clock when you file a provisional patent. You need to have all of the data to make it a strong patent, all of the data and demonstration that it actually works, kind of done within a year. And so, so yeah, just so yeah. that's I think that's an interesting process. So yeah. you filed it basically. Was it a, effectively a guess, like that you would be able to do this because you hadn't done it yet, right? Yeah, we hadn't done it yet. So um, I wouldn't say it was a. I wouldn't say it was a guess. I would say, this is going to sound a little funny, um, I, I'd say physics is a little easier than biology sometimes. Right. Because when you point a laser in one direction, it continues in that direction until it's Forever. interfered with, right? Yep. So, um, you know, when you look at an optical path and you know what's possible and you know what other people have done before, you kind of put all the different pieces together from different places. And not a guess, but I would say I would have been very surprised if it didn't, didn't work. work. And so... Just again, going back to this ability to basically get down to the capillary level. Mm -hmm. That's just because you have a precision that you're not able to replicate in other processes. Exactly. Because in tissue engineering, how is it done otherwise? Yeah. Yeah. So tissue engineering started with an adaptation of um, other 3D printing methods. And when was that? came from, oh gosh, I don't know when I... Because I feel like yeah. I've been hearing about this idea yeah. of like printing organs or, or kind of yeah. lab-grown organs for a really long time. But There's it, been a bit of a hype cycle around it, yeah. um, which has been you know something we have to distinguish ourselves from because what's going on right now is extrusion printing mostly, which forces a liquid or a media through a nozzle, much like a plastic mm-hmm. 3D printer would. Yeah. That can only take you so far in resolution. About 50 microns is the limit. It often clogs. If you try to send cells through that in the ink, they have shear forces that start to kill the cells or disrupt them. So then there's kind of spray methods and spinning methods where they just throw a bunch of fibers down, um, which is in a very controlled way. You can't quite get to blood vessels that way. So that's on the extrusion side method. That's on the physical. I'm going to Mm -hmm. put a material in this place. The resolution is too low. On the flip side of that, other people have used lasers to print, two photons specifically, which is what we use. And what they do is they scan the laser back and forth, and it turns on and it just cures in that one spot, and then they move it up and it does the next thing. Is it plane. like the old dot matrix printer? Exactly, kind of, yeah. Right. Like the laser just raster scans back and forth. Yeah. That you can get a really fine precision with. You can build capillaries with that, absolutely. But it's very slow. It would take you years to do what we can do in a couple of weeks. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Maybe perhaps a better, a better comparison is even for the tiniest structures, we're about 50 to 100x faster. What was the unlock between what oh. that and what I just saw? Yeah. So the difference is, is that we take the light and we do something called beam steering and we shape it. Instead of raster scanning it, we're projecting it almost the entire image at once. Where it might take um, a raster scan laser to print a tiny, tiny structure 10 seconds, we can print 20 in about two seconds gotcha. um, or more. So Because you're basically taking one beam and manipulating it to do it we, all at we once. We spread it out. So, so another thing is that the raster scan lasers are using a pretty low power beam. We use beams that are industrial grade and meant actually for steel and concrete cutting. And we take that laser and we spread it out over a wide area. So you get the same effective power in one beam. Got you. But there's so many of them going at once that we just lay down the entire structure at once. So how does a laser create something that is 
biodegradable. Ah, yeah. So that comes down to the material. So the material itself is already biodegradable. The laser light has a chemical process where it just cross-links it. It knits it together. So wherever the light hits in this vat of liquid media... Kind of fuses it or it fuses welds it. it. Or, yeah, it's, it's like a UV-cured epoxy is the way to mm. think about it. So we're just controlling exactly where the light goes, and we leave a structure behind. Gotcha. So today we're, it's almost the, God, it's almost at the end of 2019. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, I know. 2029. All right. What is happening in this world? What is happening in this world? I think we're going to have multiple different organs online in different disease indications. And I think that people will be living healthier lives. I remember I had this conversation with a friend back in London many years ago. And he's like, we're basically, his argument is, you know, we're kind of going to live forever because yeah. our ca- our bodies will become like a car. <laughs> we'll like, just swap oh, things out. Yeah, yeah. exactly. In 10 yeah. years when the carburetor goes out, yeah. you just get a new carburetor and then you're good to go for another however many miles. Is that what we're doing? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't I don't tend to think about it that way. I think that we have too many disease diseases to solve first and things yeah. like liver failure to solve first. I don't think there's any evidence and, and probably because people are on immunosuppressants of people living longer because they've gotten an organ replacement. Mm. You know, there's all sorts of other side effects so that, that may cause that. What I do see happening and and I would, you know, take a big bet on this, is that when we start to go into initial kidney failure or liver failure, swapping that out will allow you to live healthier, longer. So even if you have the right. same lifespan, if you're in your 80s... You just won't be on dialysis. You won't be on dialysis. Your cognition will be better. You'll be a better thinker. You'll be able to think more clearly. Dialysis fogs the mind. Oh, um, really? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's pretty miserable. Mm. And then you won't have other systemic organ failures. So once you start having, let's say, serious liver problems the rest of your body starts to decline. And, you know, we have a lot of people walking around who are just miserable or they're constantly mm-hmm. taking pills to control one disease that causes a side effect to control another disease. And what I would bet on is that we're going to be living much healthier because of this. Right. We've done podcasts before on this kind of quest for eternal life, which yeah. is lots of people have lots of yeah. money going to stuff like that especially yeah. around here yeah but i don't know if people have kind of started knocking on your door being like yeah you hey. know it's not it's not who we are as a company yeah. if it's a side effect of what we do i don't think it's a bad thing i don't think yeah. longevity is a bad thing i think it's great i think i think the world would be a more stable place if we had you know multi-generational families and you could talk to your great-grandparents about their experiences you know i i honestly believe that but our first and goal is to really help people who are suffering. And if as a side effect and a benefit, we get great health for an extended mm-hmm. period of time, great. Yeah. And so what's the path for the company? Ah, we are you know, developing long-term solutions for hopefully vascular replacements, large vascular replacements first. What does that mean? If someone needs um, a blood vessel to be placed in a lower limb for better blood flow if there's occlusion somewhere that's kind of the first product we're probably going to have on the market so it's a great stepping like stone to compression kidneys. socks exactly exactly or or you know if someone is going into dialysis and they have a, a shunt put in their arm which yep. is basically a port for dialysis we'll be able to provide a living piece of tissue to do that that wouldn't close that's the idea I mean, I imagine if you have an open port, it's basically you have to care about infection all the time. It's right, kind of right. A f- the, the AV shunt is what 
you can plug into. It's not quite yeah. a port. Yeah. And so providing the vasculature to, to build a, a solid AV shunt that people can use without it getting clogged is, is ideal. Right. And so, again, kind of low-hanging fruit, but we need to build that larger vasculature in order to build the whole organ. So we're already there. We're already doing that. You can see on the table there's a bioreactor that we just got in. This thing? So, yeah, that's what we'll be building that vasculature in. When yeah. you say vasculature, what are you talking about? Uh, three millimeter to three and a half millimeter wide blood vessels that are about six centimeters long. And so, okay. yeah. So we'll, you'll be able to build blood vessels in this thing on yep, your yep. conference table. Yeah. Yeah. We just, we just got it in today. <laughs> so the team is looking at it right, <laughs> during right, our all, during right. our all hands meeting. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so the idea there is that we can also provide a better arterial replacement because we can produce the fine vasculature that goes around it. And actually will help it engraft as a living tissue. Right. And so you'd actually replace arteries. Exactly. That's a stepping stone to the larger organs. So we're working on the, the fine architecture of the kidney, the fine architecture of the liver, and the fine architecture of the lung. And so we have working models in all three of those. How do you yeah. get to a working model of that? Uh, so that's a lot of design work. So I have a lot of really smart PhDs on you my just team. get like Johnny Ivan here and be like, yeah. this is the, the, the eye lung? <laughs> no, I mean, it, it's so, so unfortunately, this is a gap in our knowledge. Um, no one really has great three-dimensional architecture of a kidney. It's kind of out there. You can kind of piece it together, but there is no one overarching model of this is what a nephron has to look like and should look like. So we, we rely on a combination of really good histology models, so, so that's really looking at the tissue in fine detail, plus what we know about the physiology of the kidney. Okay, we need this area to have this much surface area in order right. for it to function and be about this wide. And then with those parameters, we put together something that will that does look and should function like a nephron. So it's not a question of simply getting a cadaver, taking the organs, dissecting them, studying them basically being like let's just print that you know we can do that at some scale but so to get the cadaver and then do all the sectioning properly that's a whole like year of a project and i don't think we have that long to wait getting from a histology model to an unbroken vasculature model of a kidney is actually pretty hard because you also have to have you have to have two systems lit up you have to have the filtration system in the nephron, the, the loop of Henle, the proximal mm-hmm. tubule, the ascending, descending loops of Henle. Um, and then you have to have the vasculature system lit up. And so to have both of those at the same time without it being convoluted and then get it to be modeled, I don't think anyone's actually solved that problem right. at that fine of a vasculature. So basically it's going to be a bit of trial and error of creating this, see what works, where it clogs, where it doesn't work, whatever. Exactly, yeah. Right. And that's another good thing about our system is that we print so fast that right. we can iterate on this super quickly. Yes. And that is all going to be happening here on the premises? Exactly, or? yeah. Right. yeah. Whoa. <laughs> you're, you're sitting in the place where it's happening right now. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. And so you guys obviously aren't the only ones 
working on this problem. Mm-hmm. It does feel like there's a lot of companies there doing There are a this. lot of companies trying, yeah. Did that make it hard to actually be like, no, no, but we're give us money. We're the ones that are actually going to figure yeah. it out. Based on um, what we're able to do with the uh, the fine vasculature, I am able to make a strong argument that we're different. And I got some pushback from people who've invested in us now when they, they were looking at our structures and they kept coming back and saying like, oh, this group is doing this and this other group's doing this and what's so different? I finally was really tired of explaining all the science, so I just sent them a bunch of our CAD models that we print pretty routinely. And we actually ship these to people. People use these in their labs. So we have 35 labs using this this model system i said ask them if they can print this just here here are here are all of our base files ask them if they can do this and they they came back and invested in us because no one else they were talking to right. could actually print what we do so you can just basically send a cad model mm-hmm. like just email it and be like here's a kidney structure yeah or whatever and then they can print it with because you're saying that it's the biodegradable material doesn't sound like that's... I mean, you can kind of find that. Yeah, that's everywhere. That's off the shelf. Yeah. yeah. Right. But they don't have the method to do the fine resolution and the speed that we do. But yeah. they can still look at that model and be like, okay, this is possible in the world. Yeah. Well, I mean, it is possible because we could also ship them the printed structure and they can look at it under a microscope <laughs> yeah, 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 too. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. And then in terms of the, the regulatory path, how painful is that likely to be? You know, this is an unknown for us still. So um, I think the regenerative medicine track is probably where we'll end up. Um, we're starting Meaning to make what? for tissue engineering. So, mm-hmm. so I think um, we will be vetted through regenerative medicine. That's a certain process under the F- yeah, FDA. Yeah, that's a new track. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, sorry, sorry. That's a new track in the FDA, and it was made because the FDA realized that we have a lot of cell-based medical products coming online and we should start to figure out how to regulate these properly right um if a plastic surgeon wants to take skin from one part of your body and put it over a burn wound that's not fda regulated because it's a full self-to-self transplant they know the mds know what they're doing and so that's not a problem similarly a kidney transplant is minimally regulated we know what we're doing with that right i think once we have really good proof of concept down we show we can take cells they're minimally modified we do a battery of tests on them to make sure they're not doing anything strange. I think from there, it's actually a pretty straightforward process. We have lots of precedent in transplants. The materials we use are transplanted already, the ones we used to print with. So for me, it's not a scary FDA path. I think we can show it works. That's really all there is to it. Um, We're not doing genetic modification of these cells, which makes it much easier. I was going to ask, yeah, because I don't know if you have had any pushback thus far because, you know, I imagine there will be people who'll be like, "Oh my God, you're growing cells. This you're is cells. this is against you know everything that is holy, <laughs> so to speak." Yeah. Well, I mean, if you're walking around alive, you're also growing cells. Um, <laughs> but, Very true. Um, we are, you know, we'd be, you know, taking willing donor samples, growing them outside of the body, and putting them back in. It's effectively you healing yourself. So um, that's what I was going to say. So yeah. does that is that one of the underlying conceits here? Is that basically if I get a kidney, I'm going to be the donor to myself yeah. in, in terms of those basic building blocks. Yeah, the same thing ideally. if I was burned. Ideally, yes, absolutely. Right. Yeah. Right, right. And what do you need to, for that? Say if, say if I need to, I got really badly burned on, I don't know, Yeah. a big part of my body. Mm-hmm. We'd, we'd need um, a biopsy from a part of your body that wasn't burned, mm-hmm. and we would grow those cells out, and we'd expand them. 
and see them onto one of our structures. Um, this structure is actually something we use for skin right here. This one that I'm holding in front of you. Gotcha. This very thing. This very thing that you're holding in your hand, yeah. Whoa. And so we've been growing uh, layers of, of skin cells on that, and it looks pretty good. But what we do is we take a biopsy from you, dissociate the cells, expand them as much as possible. We still need to go through that process and make sure we can get enough and understand the sizes of the biopsies we need. But from there, grow them on this inert you know, material um, and then transplant it. The skin that we grow takes about, I think, seven to nine days before I think we'd be ready to transplant it. Right. Yeah. And how big a piece is that? Like a dinner plate of skin, or I think that's about what we tried it for. Yeah. And you can do that now. We can do that now. From and how big is the biopsy you need to, to create that? So that's something that's still a little un, untested. Not anyone has had a chance to really take this to market yet. Right, yeah. right, 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 yeah. right. Because tissue engineering's been just exploding, as you've mentioned. A lot of people are trying to do mm-hmm. this with different methods. Um, a lot of really good bioreactor companies have come online just in the last couple of years where they can take cells and expand them beyond what we were able to do in the lab prior. Right, right, right. So, so that's an area where I think, you know, if you want to do a dinner plate, we could probably start with something the size of a silver dollar and get right. to a dinner plate. Yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah. What was your worst day of work? Oh, yeah. I mean, I've definitely been frustrated during the fundraising cycle where I'm like, gosh, like, how did they not get how amazing this is? Like, maybe I need to have a little more, like, fire in my belly. I'm kind of the subdued scientist about this. But, like, what we've done is going to change the world, really. Yeah, so I've been frustrated there. That's that's totally fair to say. I think I got really nervous a little bit before our A round. I was, I was worried we wouldn't get funded. And I have such an amazing team of dedicated, brilliant people who's like, they are cause motivated. Their hearts are in this. Right. And, and that would have been, that just would have been heartbreaking, really. Yeah. yeah. So I think, I think there was like a worst week where I was just really nervous that no one was going to understand how good we actually are. As you say, I mean, if you can grow a dinner plate of skin from a size of a coin, that could change the world. Exactly. And it's vascularized skin. A lot of people try to grow skin right now, mm-hmm. but it doesn't have the blood vessels in it that you need to have it actually be living skin. It just works kind of like a glorified Band-Aid and will fall off. So, yeah, it's not a fully vascularized, real transplant of skin. That's why we still do take skin from one part of the body and put it somewhere else, right? Because you can kind of basically... it the already minute, has the blood vessels. The minute architecture in there, it all just hooks up to itself and keeps exactly. doing what's right. And the body's really good at that. If you yeah. have the blood vessel architecture there, it will re-reconnect. And so that's what we're providing is that blood vessel architecture. So we're excited that we have two sets of products on the market. This is cool because structures like this have made me want to go back to grad school mm-hmm. because there are so many questions we don't know about how cells grow in 3d mm-hmm. and so we have labs working in everything from glioblastoma to pancreatic cancer glioblastomas to that's brain brain tumors yeah. yep to liver disease to kidney failure people are using our structures to do 3d modeling of cell growth right now that's been really cool for me to see it, it's just it's awesome and then we also released a system, I was telling you before we started the podcast, it's shipping um, this week to the East Coast, but the very first um, laser-based bioprinter in the world. Um, laser-based do... bioprinter, what is that? What yeah. is, I mean, that so, sounds like a 
does what it says on the tin. Yeah, yeah. So the, the systems that I walked you around in our lab, we have a version of that that's going out for people to design their own CAD files for and to print their own tissue structures with. And so people can actually test this stuff in their lab, figure out which architecture their particular neurons like to grow on. Right. And it's all transplantable. Well, so who does it? Because that's not obviously, it's not like an iPhone. So I can just no, it's it. not quite like an iPhone. Um, we designed all the light paths ourselves. The outside design of the system was done by our partners at Cellink. Um, they're a Swedish company, beautiful design. <laughs> um, and they're selling and supporting the system with us. We didn't want to build a whole sales team behind right, it. Right, right, but right. But we did want to get this tech out there because it's so exciting. But who would want this? Who would oh, have? Who, who, who? That's what I'm yeah. saying. Who is going to use that? Oh, if I it see. shows up at your door, then you know. Right, right. Then... Yeah. What am I going to do with this in my living room? <laughs> um, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> um, yeah. No. So uh, we've got pharma companies that are interested. Right. So we're talking to probably five or six different pharma companies right now. As a what for to test for, our to test for three dimensional drug cell-based drug screening and so when you look at cells on a flat dish they behave very differently than cells that are cultured in 3d right and they respond to all different pharmaceuticals differently and so this the idea here is that if you take human cells you can culture them in three dimensions and get a better readout of what's going to happen in your phase one clinical trial and just do better drug selection period so it's expected that three-dimensional cell culture is really going to speed up the time to market and the efficacy of a lot of drugs. And so right, that's right, one, right. one subset of very interested customers that we have. The other is in academia. And so to be able to have the ability to, and it does look like an iPhone app. It's funny that you brought that up. We designed it to be that easy to print with. But a lot of academics are, are very interested in, okay, how do I get into this 3D culture. I know this is where I should be doing research. This is where cells behave as they do in the body. So how do I get after that? How do I actually build the right architecture? And so this system will do that for you. And you can come up with your own CAD file. We are actually working on a software program to randomize and generate tissue structures for this printer. So people can really just pick it off the shelf, build their structure, come back in the morning, and then seed it with their favorite cell type and see how it grows. The flexibility of that is something I think our academic customers are really interested in. And so I guess that's my last question. So that you have these architectures, which we're playing around with on the table. Yep. Where yep. do the cells come from that you would... We do either culture those in a bioreactor um, so that it looks a bit like you mentioned the fish company before yep. that has a big, probably a big spinner yep, and yep, cells yep. being... Yep moved around so we culture them in a bioreactor and then we concentrate them and then we seed them onto the structure itself right yeah right you're not just taking biopsies from no 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 <laughs> no no although we did have to do that in grad school no, I'm just yeah. kidding. <laughs> totally kidding it was all volunteer yeah. Um, <laughs> um, right. Right. yeah um you know there are a lot of really good cell biology companies that have cell human cell samples in libraries of them. So we're leaning on those for now to do a lot of our test work. I wish you luck with the revolution. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's truly a tissue revolution. And that is all the time we have. I want to thank Melanie for taking the time, for giving me a tour and letting me wear a really cool helmet uh, in their lab. 
I hope you enjoyed the conversation and that it made you think about all the possibilities. It's kind of hard to fathom. Um, sounds like they still have a ways to go. Um, these things always take longer and are more difficult than um, they first appear. But um, yeah, we shall see. And that is it. Oh, one more thing before I go. Please take a moment. You knew it was coming. Uh, take a moment. Give a rating and review. It really does help, especially as we're starting a new season. We want to get more people in. Um, listening to the show so do tell a friend give a review that's it and i'll be in the sunday times newspaper this weekend writing not about this but about lots of other interesting stuff so do check out the paper or online at thetimes.co.uk or on the twitters at danny fortson have a good weekend bye-bye